Hello and welcome to another episode of the Scattered Abroad Joint Podcast. We are here at Season 3, Episode 5, and we're talking about our theme of the year, which is Behold Our God in Peace. I have with me today a great group of guests. I have sitting directly to my right, Drew Suttles. I also have with me today, directly to his right, Matt McBrayer, and I have to my left, Chase Green. Guys, we are really excited to have this opportunity to talk about a subject that our world seems to not know much about. Uh, there is hardly any peace in the world when you stop and think about it and you consider all of the different problems that we experience. There are wars talked about all the time. There are disgruntled employees. There's strife everywhere you turn. And so we look at peace. We ask the question, what is peace? How can we know peace? And the answer is we got to look at how God defines it. So how does God define peace? The first thought that comes to my mind is 1 Corinthians 14, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, which means it's the very opposite of confusion. Uh, and so God would define peace as all being of the same mind. And we find that language in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. But there's, there's no confusion. And so you think about a, a wave of the, of the sea, you think of a storm, and you think of all the chaos that goes on, you think about Jesus coming out saying, peace, be still. So I would define peace, or really the Bible defines it, as just a state of being calm. What about uh, Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7? It says, I be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. So we're talking about spiritual well-being, the yeah. peace of God that surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Yeah, I think also with uh, 1 Peter 3.11, let them turn away from evil and do good. Let them seek peace and pursue it. You know, really seeking out peace is obviously the opposite of doing evil. So when you're doing good, you're really seeking out peace. So peace is associated directly with righteousness. It's interesting. The first time we find the word peace in the Bible, I've done this the last couple times we've been together, that's Genesis 15, 15, and it's talking about death. It says, now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. And so you've got this idea of peace being what all of us hope to find. And oftentimes we see in our culture, it's been changed a little bit. You see the, the, the phrase RIP, or someone will say, uh, you know, man, this guy died, RIP. And they mean rest in peace. And then some say, no, don't say rest in peace, rest in power, because you're this wonderful and, and great and powerful person. You don't, there's no peace, there's power. Well, ultimately, when we die, we want peace. We, right. we want to be at peace. And the idea of death and peace should go hand in hand. God defines peace the very first time he ever used it by saying, when you die, you'll die in peace. You'll be at peace. It will be a blessing for you. It won't be something where your death will be a horror, you're going to be comforted. Mm -hmm. And I think when you look at the New Testament parallel of that, you have the rich man and Lazarus. Yeah. There is a group of individuals being discussed with that Jesus is speaking to about this event. And he says, the rich man is tormented. And Abram, uh, the Lazarus was carried to Abram's bosom mm -hmm. in peace. And there's the exact thing that we find all the way back in Genesis 15, the same mentality. And in throughout the entire Bible, the word peace is found in over 369 verses. I've been doing this the last couple of times. Let's just play a game for just a second, okay? Which has the more references to peace? I want you to 
just tell me when you've got it. You can say it on your own. Old or New Testament, Matt, what do you think it is? Old or New Testament? I'd say Old Testament. All right, Matt says Old Testament. Say New. Drew says New. Chase? I'm going to go New. All right. Matt, you win a gold star. In the Old Testament, there are 281 verses found with 302 matches. In the New Testament, there's 95 matches and 88 verses for a grand total of 397 times the Bible talks about peace. But again, predominantly in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that every reference that we're talking about is the the peace that we're trying to define. But peace is a main theme of the Bible. It is a theme that God has woven throughout scripture and so it is worth our time to consider it but how do we obtain it is it even attainable how do we grasp peace i I think today you probably hear people talk about what makes you peaceful i want to have a nice house want to have good transportation i want to be able to not worry about my bills i want to be able to sleep well having been able to eat a good meal and that's how a lot of people talk about having peace. Mm-hmm. How is peace, is it even attainable today? Can we can we actually have peace in our lives? The only way it's attainable is in Christ. And Chase referenced Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And you talk about the peace that passes understanding. That verse goes on to say, to keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Right. And you remember John 16, 33, uh, when Jesus said, in the world you're going to have tribulation, but... In me, you will have peace. I've overcome the world. So it is possible to attain it, but only in Christ. Yeah, I was going to say it depends on what you mean by peace. Yeah. You know, when we talk about peace, that is the peace that surpasses all understanding, the Mm -hmm. peace that is spiritual peace that we have as Christians, absolutely that is obtainable. But you think about the idea of this pie in the sky world peace, as they call it, that's never going to be. As long as this earth remains, there's going to be people fighting. There's going to be the absence of peace in that sense. And therefore, we need a respite from that world. We need a respite from the lack of peace that is in the world. And again, like you said, Drew, that only comes through Jesus Christ. You know, the, when you think about peace, I actually, Michael's dad, Brother B.J. Clark, he, I think he has a really great illustration on that when he talks about um, uh, there's a young lady that um, had responded to some people that said, you know, well, she's not out partying and doing all these different things and you know how you know she doesn't know how to have fun and and her idea was well i don't i don't have to worry about anything i i get up every morning and i don't worry about you know my parents uh, catching me doing drugs or anything like that you know um and so like i know there's a longer illustration of that but that's the basic principle is you do the right thing and then everything um you know kind of falls in place as far as you know being at peace um i would say too that um whenever uh i was um i was recently in a uh, i was recently in a in an accident yeah and um and it was pretty horrific yeah and um it was it was um i know i don't want to be the car accident guy but i mean it just happened and um did mayhem, did mayhem happen? Mayhem happened. Yeah. But it wasn't as cool as mayhem, yeah. I'll tell you that. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, there was there were ways that we, you know, should have died. And and I remember, you know, just at that moment, I didn't have much time to think about anything. I just thought, well, this is the way it ends. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I knew that I was right with God, so I was just at peace. There I didn't have to worry about anything. Wow. 
you think about your accident. I was I was wondering if you're going to bring that up at all because for so many people, when we talked about earlier, it's having a nice car, it's having a nice house, it's having all these things, and then your car's flipping right. on the interstate, and you're thinking, I mean, right now, peace would just be being alive and getting out of this alive, right? And having the knowledge that I'm safe, right? And I think there's an idea found in in the book of Luke where someone says, Lord, I'll follow you. And Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, son of man doesn't have a place to lay his head. Your life in Christ is not going to be peaceful financially. That's never been promised. Now, right. it can happen. Good financial decisions can be done, and you can make a good profit on things. And God's not against wealth, but God never said, hey, if you become a Christian, you immediately become a millionaire. You never want for anything. Right. Jesus' first statement to that, that individual was, you won't have a place to sleep. Yeah. And I, I travel more now for a living than I've ever done before. I've stayed in a lot of different hotels. And even though it's the same brand, which is a pretty decent brand of hotel, it's affordable, but it's it's a nice brand. There have been some nights where I've stayed in a place and thought, I'm scared. Like, this is not a good place to sleep tonight. Right. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lock everything up more, and I'm going to be a little bit more concerned. I stayed in a hotel once where they put the sheets on wet. They smelled clean. But they put the sheets on wet. And I'm thinking, this isn't comfortable. It's not, but I wasn't ever promised comfort. I was promised a place to sleep. I was promised having an opportunity to do the work of the Lord. And whatever comes from that, an accident or whatever else, Mm -hmm. man, it's life. You know, I think, though, at the same time with that, Jesus didn't promise any of that, like you said. And in Matthew chapter 10, he evidences that by saying, look, I didn't come to bring peace by a sword. You know, households Mm -hmm. are going to be divided. Yeah. because of people being obedient to the gospel of Christ. Of course. So, yeah, he, he did not promise that we would be at peace with people. We'll, right. We can be at peace with God, but we're definitely not going to be at peace with all the people around us. And in fact, before we came to Christ, we were at odds with God. We were enmity with God yeah. and talks about that in, in Ephesians. But now that we are reconciled with God, we are back at peace with him. But the world, the sinful world around us is absolutely not at peace with him. So therefore, by default, we're not going to be at peace with, with that sinful world. I think of uh, Romans 12, verse 18, it says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Right. The sinful world around us, they're they're going to be out there to try to make things as as non-peaceful for us as possible. And, yeah. and we're going to have to, as much as possible at, is within us, we have to try to live peaceably with them. I'm reminded of Luke chapter 1, where we first hear about this. There's this prophecy kind of being made. And it says, through the tender mercy of God, verse 78, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's about Jesus. And so can peace be attainable? Yes, but it has to be gotten from the right source. We asked a question early on in the season, uh, is mercy a weakness? And I made the statement, yes, it's a weakness because it shows that man is weak. Mercy is only a weakness on man's part, not on God's part. It says man has a problem and he needs God's mercy. And therefore, yes, it's a weakness by the very definition of man's imperfection. Peace is attainable because Jesus was delivered and brought to us to give us a way of peace, to guide our feet into the way of peace. That is a blessing. And then you think about all that Jesus did in the very beginning of his ministry. So many things we don't even know that he did. So many things that are are pure speculation. 
And the ultimate act that he did for us was peace. Yeah. We have peace. And I can't think of anything else in life that I would rather have in the long run. I, I might say right now, you know, man, if you could write a check and clear all the debt I have, you could buy me a house. I'd be content to have that done. That'd be, I wouldn't blame you. If, if a man walked up right now, like Daniel Webster did a few minutes ago and interrupted <laughs> this podcast, uh, if it had happened and he said, I will clear your debts right now, I'd take him up on it. I won't lie. I mean, I, yeah. I think all of us would do that. But I would get to the end of my life and realize all he did was take some debts off. That Jesus paid the, the biggest debt there ever has been. That's right. That gave me peace. So, yes, it's attainable, but now the question becomes more towards church. We see throughout the the church today, we see a major problem of infighting. There seems to be, well, well you know, preacher, I didn't like that sermon. Mm-hmm. Or I didn't like that the elders decided that we we're going to have services on the Super Bowl Sunday at 1 p.m. instead of 7 like we normally do. I didn't like, I didn't like, I didn't like. And if you say anything in support of the sermon or the elders who have the right to make such a call, then now all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, now you're my enemy. Now you're, you're the problem. We're going to have a fight about this. It's going to be a problem. And there seems to be so much unrest. I used to not know this. And then I started to go to preaching school and I heard the stories and I started to be in local work and I heard the stories and I heard about things that were happening in the community around me church-wise and even at times church fights that had to kind of be put out. Is peace in the church? We know that that's kind of a a toss-up question. But in the areas where it's not, what needs to be done to establish peace in the church? How does that happen? In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it talks about how God is not the author of confusion, but of what? But of peace in the churches of the saints. So in in theory or in in the plan, there is peace in the church. Now, we know when people, when people get involved in that plan, mm-hmm. sometimes there's not peace. That's a problem with people. That's a problem with sin that creeps into churches. And I think that sometimes the temptation can be, especially for us as preachers or for elders, The temptation can be to try to go along to get along, to try to brush things under the rug in the name of peace. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that can be a major problem when it comes to, it is a major problem when it comes to sin. You can think back to a time in Jeremiah's day when the false prophets, what were they saying? Peace, peace, when there was no peace. And so there are times when there can't be peace because you've got certain, certain elements, if you will, in the church that are acting up and they're not doing right. And that's not peaceful. And, mm-hmm. and you know, there's there's mentioned in the scriptures of there are times when certain elements, certain people have to be put in their place. Now, there's a right way to go about that, but it has to be done from time to time so that peace can be reestablished. What if you go back to the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1 and verse 10, he, Paul's writing to Christians under the church at Corinth. And so when you think about that statement, be of the same mind, of the same judgment, speak the same thing. That's how you can have peace in the Lord's church. And Jesus prayed for and died for unity, according to John 17, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but I want to think about this in Philippians chapter 2. I want to read this. This is really the pattern or the platform of peace, if I could say it that way. Paul says this. He says, Therefore, if there is, since there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy, 
Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And then verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Ultimately, how do you do that? Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He lays it out perfectly. Yep. You can have peace in the church, and if you're going to have it anywhere, have it within the body of Christ. Absolutely. Yeah, so and part of that is is um, I've seen this a lot where people get caught up in wanting to take credit for something, and they don't really think about I, I think of you know the church as being more of a team effort, and there's really no credit to be taken except for giving glory to God. Right. But so many people want to be like, well, I did this and I did that, and we need to get off that mindset. But also, I think about Romans 14 and verse 19, so then let us follow after things which make for peace and things yep. whereby we may edify one another. You know, we've got to think about things that are peaceful and not cause problems. You know, we tend to be the problem uh, as people. And so we've got to we've got to do our best to kind of restrict that a little bit. Let's think about it from the church all the way down to, to the, the members, starting at the very top. Jesus has no problems. Right. So there's peace if we follow Christ. There will be more peace if elders would stop using phrases just to be blunt, like, well, people are saying. Yeah. Right. Then yeah. those people need to say it to my face. Right. Or those people need to say it to that member's face. And there needs to be a meeting with the elders and those two members, and let's fix the problem. People are saying oftentimes could be translated to, really the elders have said behind closed doors this, and we're going to say people because— we are people, we are saying, and we want you to know. And that's not, first of all, that's a lie. You're acting as if other people are saying if that's what's happening. But second of all, even if other people have come to the elders and have said, well, you know, I didn't like the sermon Sunday, or I don't like that the preacher doesn't do this, or he did this. You take that member and you tell them, we take this problem very seriously. And so does Brother Suttles, Brother McBrayer, Brother Green, Brother Clark. They take it very seriously. We would like to meet. We'd like to discuss this matter. Would you be willing to do that? How much y'all want to bet if we were allowed to do so <laughs> that they would say, no, I'm good. Yeah. And part of the problem why peace is not in the church are there are times where elders unknowingly and unwittingly even, it seems, stir the pot themselves and they don't even realize it. And that's a problem and that needs to stop. Elders having the backs of the preachers when they need to have them is at all times unless they know there's a problem. So the elders, that's the first part. The deacons, there would be more peace if deacons would not gripe about the work that they do. There'd be more peace if deacons would just say, there's another thing that we can do to serve? Great. Not as sometimes happens, you mean we're supporting another work and now I've got to do this and I've got to do that? Members would have more peace if they would say, you know, that lady over there, she just lost her husband and she's being a little bit more type A personality than I've ever seen, but I think I know why. I'm going to be more forbearing and I'm going to be a little bit more loving toward her. And I'll just, I'll bear that with her and I can, I can suffer through that. And finally, preachers would have more peace in their own lives if we could learn to be more like a duck and let it go off yeah. the backs that we have. Right. Yes, we need to have meetings with people who are going to say things, but I think sometimes I'm guilty of this a lot. I know we can all be, it can eat at you. And you hear something said or you hear someone say, I liked your tie, and they say nothing about the sermon. Or they say, well, that sermon was a little bit longer than it should have been. 
and then of a 120-something member congregation, 99 of the people that you got to see said good things. Yeah. One person said, you know, your sermon was 10 minutes longer than I was used to. And we spend the rest of the week going, oh, man, that really ate me up. Mm-hmm. We're not going to have peace top to bottom if we don't start working together. That's right. And the members, we need to learn to not complain about the things that are not worthy of complaining. The deacons need to learn to not complain. It's really, in my opinion, it's a lot about complaining. It's a lot about knowing, hey, I can make this work. Mm-hmm. I don't have to have it perfect. Right. Matt, you got something you want to add to that? Yeah, I do, actually. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking about um, a way that we can, especially as preachers, for any preachers listening, uh, here's a way that you can help out in this kind of a situation. And that is, um, you know, we oftentimes, uh, you know, the, the members complain to the elders about the preacher. Well, who complains about the elders, you know, to uh, well, the, the congregation complains about the elders, but they do that to the preacher. Yeah. And uh, so I try to do this, and um, I believe that it helps out in this situation, is that every time somebody comes up to me, if I can stop it and go, hey, you know what? You really need to talk to elders about that. I would be glad to go with you and talk about that. Um, yeah. But I can't really listen more because, you know, we've, we've got to be peaceful here. And then um, a lot of times that cuts it off at the same time. I tell that to my elders and say, look, I'm not going to accept any sort of gossip or anything from the congregation on your behalf. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop that. I expect the same thing in return. And then um, I've had that happen several times where the elders would come and say, hey, you know, someone said this. And I said, well, who was it? <laughs> and um, and they and I said, you know, I'll tell you if anybody comes and says anything, I'm going to tell you exactly what's going on. So I need to know who it is. Uh, or else it didn't happen. I've got to know some specifics because I cannot make this right. Right. And and so I think that helps out. And plus, your elders find out that man, you've got a you got a preacher that's on your side yes, and right. will help out. And, and how can we have peace if someone has gone to the elders legitimately and taken the time to say something? Then it's not just a small issue in their mind because you've effectively gone to the boss of the minister the elders serve in that role in that capacity and you've gone to them with something in mind you want something to happen most of the time it's you want the preacher to change what you didn't like or the member to change what you didn't like how are we ever going to have peace if an eldership does that approach where you say well who was it and they go well we're not going to tell you then then you don't want to fix the problem we can't fix it if we don't face it head on. Well, and the natural tendency in a lot of situations is to sweep things under the rug right. and to pretend like maybe it'll just go away. And usually that doesn't happen. Usually yeah. problems get bigger rather yeah. than going away and getting smaller. You don't do that with medical issues, do you? Right. No. Well, most people don't. <laughs> could, you, right. well, could you imagine the doctor comes in and says, people are saying... Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. you have cancer. Yeah. Well, do I? Well, we don't want to. We don't want to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Better tell me. You got to tell me, right? And if we're going to have that issue in the church, then we're going to not have anything that's going to go the right direction until we start fixing that problem. Y'all got anything to add to that before I go to our sponsor? I've got a little bit of a different tangent, if I if I can, I to take a. We got about two. seven minutes. So okay, good, good, good. <laughs> um, I was thinking about... That sounded like you were about to take all seven minutes. Well, I am. I'm just kidding. No, um, I was thinking about intergenerational peace in the church between, you know, the older generations and the younger generations Mm -hmm. and 
maybe the singles and the marrieds, you know, different different uh, groups of people in church. But we've been stressing a lot in uh, Marietta recently about Titus chapter two, the older teaching the younger. Yes. Both the, the older ladies teaching the younger ladies and the older men teaching the younger men. There needs to be peace in a congregation. There needs to be fellowship and family in a congregation that's so strong that, you know, when you get to Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20, church discipline, the very first words out of Jesus's mouth in that context is if a brother, what's a brother, a family member. Yeah. Yeah. If a family member, a brother trespasses against you, then, then take care of it this way. Unfortunately, our relationships in many congregations are not as strong as they should be. And therefore, let's say that I, I go off and do whatever I want and become unfaithful. Okay, I don't care. I don't miss any of you anyway because the relationship's not what it should be. So we, we've got to get to where we've got those strong family relationships. And I think that the way you do that is you heavily promote all those relationships between the older and the younger generations, Titus chapter two, and you have peace among those different generations. Any maybe thoughts about that? I think that's a good point because if you think about it, uh, there should be no peace when we lose people. It, it should yeah. not be something where, and now there are times where it might be a little bit of a good riddance type thing because the right. person was causing problems. But I think sometimes we have this laissez-faire, you know, lackadaisical mindset of, oh, well, they're gone. Too bad. And we just move on. Yeah. And I mean, again, imagine if a doctor did that. You know, they lo they lose a patient on the operating table, a surgeon, and he just goes, ah, well, who, you know, bring in the next one. Yeah. Well, I think you it's know. in Ephesians chapter four. Every joint supplies something. Yes. Every part of the body supplies to the body and if you're missing something the whole body suffers go a week without being able to use your thumbs and you'll know exactly what that feels like to have something right. not functioning at full capacity and just how important even the littlest members of our body the pinky toe mm -hmm. as well the, yeah. the big toe they they provide a balancing factor and they're important and they're necessary y'all got anything to add on that before i go to our sponsor and our last question okay. all right so our sponsor this uh whole season is the Memphis School of Preaching. The Memphis School of Preaching was gracious enough to give us these little uh, water bottles. They're Camelbacks, and they have their logo on them. We're gracious to them for that. Now, we've mentioned this all summer long, well, all season long, not summer, all season long, we've said that all of us have been sponsored by MSOP through the teaching that we received during the two-year program since all of us were able to receive our education in preaching the gospel from the Memphis School of Preaching. And you might be someone who's sitting there and thinking, Man, I'd like to do what they're doing right now. I'd like to talk about the Bible for a living. I'd like that to be my life. Preaching can give that reality to you. And if you're interested in learning more about preaching the gospel, Memphis School of Preaching is a free two-year school that you can attend and be able to learn more about God's Word, covering all 66 books, as well as other classes that are necessary to help you combat the different things in life. If you're interested, we'll put all the information in the show notes, and you can reach out to us at that time. But we're thankful to MSOP. And we're going to get to our last question now. Our last question is very simply put, what needs to be done to establish peace in the community? Protests don't seem to make a difference in a lot of ways. So what do we do? How do we make peace show up in the community? How can I get past a barrier where I don't have an issue with a group of people, but there's this stigma in our country that says that I do just because of the color of my skin. How do I get past the barrier? How can I have peace in the community not just on racial issues, but how can I have peace in the community, period? I think starting off, um, especially like when I think about the racism aspect, um, I don't listen to that stuff. No, because 
you know, the, like the the idea that somebody is um, the way they are just because of the color of skin doesn't matter what color it is is just ridiculous. It's not biblical. So I just don't listen to that. I've even had brethren that I've had to deal with on this very issue, and it's just it's despicable that anybody would do any of that. Um, but I think uh, about all of these things really boil down to what you know our personal responsibility is. In Romans chapter twelve, verse eighteen: If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, be at peace with all men. Right. So. Well, too, the church needs to be the brightest spot in the community. It doesn't matter how small or how big. The church ought to be the bright the bright spot. We mentioned Philippians 2 earlier with the church. I go back to Philippians 2, uh, beginning in 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And then he says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So, like you said, individual responsibility as Christians and then the congregation being that beacon of light, that's how we're going to make a difference. And that's how we're going to promote peace. They need to see it, how Christians act in one another and how we live. And that's going to be the biggest difference maker. That's what can bring about peace. Yeah. 20 seconds. What you got? Anything? I was just going to mention what we mentioned in a recent episode, just law and order and justice, you know. What is it there for? It's there to maintain the peace. To, yeah. If you don't have law and order, what do you have? You have chaos, which is the opposite of peace. That's right. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, thank you guys for being on the show this week, and we're grateful uh, to have another episode in the books for the Scatter the Broad Joint podcast. Uh, we will be back next month with another episode on our theme of Behold Our God, and we want you to be invited to listen and watch all of the other podcast content that we have on YouTube and all major podcast platforms. We're thankful to the Memphis School of Preaching for sponsoring this season. And as always, take care and God bless. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.